All right, let's turn the page on Venom. Let's go to our next movie review, which is a very, you know, very different vibe here. We're going with a prequel to the, you know, the hit show, one of the, what is regarded as one of the greatest shows of all time, um, The Sopranos. This Sopranos, Sopranos, I, I, I say it interchangeably, I feel like, but the film we're talking about here is The Many Saints of Newark, which this movie um, released in theaters and on HBO Max, as many films have this year. It did about $5 million, uh, last weekend going up against Venom. You know, the, the HBO Max release movies, regardless of what they are, have not performed super well in theaters because most people are watching them at home. I mean, Suicide Squad is, is a great example, a movie that probably would have done major, major dollars in theaters if it had been a solo theatrical release. Just didn't. And, and the five million on this one, when it's a movie based on a TV show that everyone watched in their homes, like, of course, people yes. are going to think to watch it at home. But anyway, that's that's how it performed. And now we're going to review it. And I am the one synopsing here. So The Many Saints of Newark is a prequel to The Sopranos and shows, you know, the the beginning sort of of the DeMeo Soprano crime family. Not not necessarily the beginning. Like the, You get the sense that the train is already on the tracks at this point, but it goes down during the reign of the legendary uh, uh, Molotani. Is that, the, is that the right way to pronounce that? Maltasanti. Maltasanti, sorry. Mm-hmm. Maltasanti, that, that family, uh, you know, whenever he's in control there, his uncle, Uncle Jackie. So um, that's that's sort of where this takes place. And or Dickie, sorry, Uncle Dickie. I always get their names mixed up. But Uncle Dickie Maltasanti is the one who is in charge here and honestly takes on a way bigger role than I was expecting. I was very much expecting this to be like the Tony Soprano origin story, and in many ways it is, but the main focus, the main driving force here is Dickie Maltasanti. And that's because, you know, if you've watched the show, you know that like Uncle Dickie is sort of the legend behind Tony Soprano. And, and he, you know, every time they mention his name, you know, I like that this movie is called The Many Saints of Newark because every time they mention his name, it's like they're mentioning this very revered, legendary Mufasa type of character <laughs> here. And so as soon as you see Dickie Maltasanti show up, you're like, ooh, this is going to be good. And, and you know, the movie goes all the way up to the end of his life and sort of the start of, of Tony Soprano uh, taking over or, or starting mm-hmm. his, his life as a, as a mafioso. So that is the basic premise. There are other things that go on in this movie, particularly with this rival group that's led by a character named Harold. Um, you know, there's, it's basically becomes the Italians versus the African Americans. Uh, they, they texture in some 1960s, 1970s civil rights stuff on top of it to add to the plot, which makes, makes for a super interesting storyline and then it sort of progresses through the years we see a really young tony soprano and then like a you know teenage version by the time the movie is over so Mm -hmm. very very interesting that's right that's right anything i missed kirk i know i messed up the names and stuff but anything i missed from from no synops they're all very italian very sicilian names so i'm sure that we'll continue to mess them up um it was a very uh, very exciting very exciting movie Yes. All right. 
let's get started. Well, I'm going to I'm going to start with my Oscar and my Oscar is going to our leading man who played Dickie Maltesanti, uh, Alessandro Nivola, uh, who this this guy is an interesting case because, first of all, I mean, you know, from a look perspective, is there a better is there a better mob actor that hasn't appeared in a, in a major mafia movie yet? I don't think so. I mean, he looks the part, he sounds the part, he's got the right aura about him, and really just sort of immediately when they say this guy is Dickie Maltesanti, and you know the the weight that that name carries, you're like, yep, <laughs> you know, that's him, makes sense, checks out. <laughs> and it's because he just really brings this performance to life in such a real way. And I think the physical acting, as much as the the actual dialogue, is, is what brings this character to life because he has to sort of swag around, you know, the way he lights his cigarettes, the way he works on his car, the way that he interacts with people. It you know, feels like The Sopranos, first of all, and it feels like this is the guy you've been hearing about. And it's such an interesting thing to have this character that you don't really, you know, you know about them, but you've never seen them and you don't know what they went through and all that stuff. And it's got to be difficult to bring a character like that to life, but Alessandro Nivola does an incredible job. Um, in fact, the only movie I really remember this guy being in is American Hustle. He plays the, I believe... He is um, like one of the. He's like the the FBI or, or one of the, one of the one of the like crime bureaus that they're working mm-hmm. with to perform this sting. He's in that, and yep. I think he does an excellent job. He's like Louis C.K.'s boss or something like that in that movie, <laughs> and um, he did a great job in that movie. And I I remember that performance; it sticks out to me. And so I was glad to see him here. I instantly recognized him from having seen that and was like, Oh, this could be really good. And I thought he was great. I really did. I thought he was, I thought he was excellent. So that's who I'm giving my Oscar to Alessandro Rivola. You know who I Nivola, thought? Sorry. Nivola. I always think of him, this actor, Alessandro to be, I always think he is the same actor who played toad in the X-Men film, which really? is actually is, is, um, uh, the same actor who played Darth Maul. What's his name? Oh yeah. What is that guy's name? Look it up for me. Look it up for I me. Will. But that's, yeah. that's who it is. And for some reason they look alike to me and they're both like covered in makeup. So I don't know why, uh, like caked in makeup. So I don't know why, uh, Alessandro Nivola looks, looks like this guy looks like toad and looks like, um, Darth Maul to me, but he does. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Those are both very prominent roles uh, in recent uh, 20 year history. Yeah. Ray Park. Ray Park. Ray Park. Yes. Ray Park. Yes, yes, yes. And I bet if I pulled up a picture, it wouldn't look anything like him with the makeup off. So I'm not going to look. <laughs> <laughs> my best actor, my actor goes to also Mr. Alessandro Nebola. This guy is fantastic there is something weird about me maybe it's the irish in me i love 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 mafia movies they fill me with adrenaline and excitement um the the justice that that is created by the mafia their own inner justice their own inner set of rules their own uh, set of brotherhood is something i would absolutely never want to be a part of but it is so fascinating to see it's fascinating to watch it's exciting to watch and it would it would be absolutely terrifying if you 
we're living that life. And if you live that life right now, uh, maybe we could throw like a ticker down below uh, of a hotline to call 1-800-GET-ME-OUT-OF-THE-MAFIA-ALIVE. Uh, and I promise we won't, we're not like a fake mafia trying to attack you. <laughs> <laughs> or are we? Uh, Alessandro Nivola completely encaptures such a prominent role, like Cam said, is that we we follow Christopher Malsanti for, you know, six seasons in the Sopranos. Uh, He wants to be a film writer. Then he wants to be the, then he wants to be a soldier. Then he wants to be a boss. Then he wants to be a drug addict. Then he wants to get out. Uh, And ultimately his demise comes at the hands of his uncle, Tony Soprano Uh, just suffocates him in that, in that truck um, in the, in the bitter cold. So uh, it's very important that this, this role gets, exactly what it needs because he is spoken to spoken about as a legend throughout the entire original Soprano series. Um, I'm with Cam. I also did not expect him to be front and center uh, when we have Michael Gandolfini uh, playing his father's role. Uh, But it didn't matter because that aspect of it was so exquisitely and carefully done uh, that I'm excited to see where he goes from here. I'm excited to see what roles he gets to take on because of this. Um, like Cam said, he's got he's got a long, long list uh, of work over 55 uh, films, including oh, one of my favorites, uh, the Red Sea Diving Resort. With it's he's in this film. Uh, Chris Evans is in this film. It's a Netflix film. It's based on a true story. It's really awesome. Also high adrenaline. Go watch it. The Red Sea Diving Resort, and. I just am super excited to see him be able to have the opportunity to develop such a fully rounded character um, and bring it to life exactly as anyone would have wanted it to. Not even not even in a predictable way. Uh, one could say you could very easily make this a caricature, and he didn't. It was really, really uh, carefully plotted out. So bravo. Yeah, which this seems like a good time before we go into Scene Stealer to call out that the casting in this movie was awesome. (laughs) Like I found myself at every turn, just loving the casting, loving the way people were taking on these roles. I thought the ensemble was, you know, it's not going to be my showstopper because I'm talking about it now, but I loved the ensemble cast and they threw in so many of my like low key faves that don't always get as much love. Like Corey Stoll as junior soprano. I thought, First of all, looked the part. Also, that guy can absolutely bring it as an actor and did a great job. John Bernthal's Johnny Soprano, Vera Farmiga as Livia Soprano, uh, just like incredible. Uh, You know, when Ray Liotta is an afterthought in a mafia movie, like they've done a great job with casting. Leslie Odom, incredible job. Um, And actually, Leslie Odom is who I'm, Leslie Odom Jr. is who I'm giving my my, uh, scene stealer to. So, Leslie Odom Jr. as as uh, Harold McBrayer, who is sort of this guy. He he has a really interesting character arc because he has this... It, I love the way that they crafted this because they do what feels like a very traditional like villain origin story here. But what's hilarious is like giving birth to a villain in a mafia film is such a hilarious thing to try to do because like <laughs> all these guys are super bad, but they pull it off in such a really thoughtful and great way here you can see the fire in Leslie Odom Jr.'s eyes throughout this movie that he, you know, he feels like he's not getting what he is entitled to and he's just going to take it. And, and that remains the entire movie. He starts off 
um, being sort of a runner for, for Dickie Maltesanti and, and the whole, the crime family. And at some point along the line, you know, amongst the civil unrest that's going on in the African-American community, you see this really beautiful story arc blossom where without really saying it, you clearly see him reach a point where he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm taking what's, what's mine. I'm not working for anybody. I'm working for me. And if, you know, if I have to get my hands dirty, I'm going to get my hands dirty for myself and not for somebody else. I'm just going to do this. And I just am increasingly so impressed <laughs> with Leslie Odom Jr. and what he's been able to do. Keep in mind, this guy was not an actor before Hamilton. Like, he did some stuff, but he was primarily a singer. And, in fact, I, I always think about this now when Leslie Odom Jr. gets cast in a role. I went and saw him perform uh, at the... At the uh, uh, the the opera house here or the or the symphony hall here in in St. Louis during Christmas one year and he gave an amazing show and this was coming fresh off of Hamilton and right after so he had just finished his Broadway run on Hamilton and he had just been cast in uh, the, the Agatha Christie film oh. the uh, the Murder on the Orient Express mm-hmm. and he sort of said that you know after Hamilton and after you know the Tony Awards and all that stuff. You know, he was getting approached by a lot of guys with cigars being like, what do you want to do, kid? You can do whatever you want. And he was like, well, you know, I really, I view myself as a singer. This guy is a singer, but he's an actor. <laughs> like he, he can act. And I'm, I'm so glad that he's continuing to pursue it because at first I was like, yeah, I want you to be a singer. You have a, a, just such a beautiful voice, like a, a lifetime, like once in a lifetime caliber voice this guy has. But man, his acting prowess is insane. I, I feel like he's developing so, so rapidly, and is able to take this stuff on and do such an incredible job. I just, I never cease to be amazed by Leslie Odom Jr. I thought that he turned in another great performance and, and a great character study with this Harold, Harold um, character. It was really stellar. So Leslie Odom Jr. gets my scene stealer. Well, we've come to the point where. We have the exact same taste in this movie, Cam. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to go with Michael Gandolfini, for sure. <laughs> oh, boy, did I want to. But, I, but man, Leslie Odom, this man, he's not going to stop. He's not going to stop at all because there is a fire in his eyes in this film. And it takes different, um, I don't know, different heat. You know, you, you, have, you have the red flame the orange flame, the purple flame. By the end of this movie, it is so purple, so light purple, which is the hottest flame, I do believe, the hottest uh, version of fire. I was a Boy Scout. I think that Leslie Odom really, really gravitated to this role because it was so simple to relate to um, a character like this because, A, Leslie Odom, I'm alluding to Leslie Odom Jr. is a criminal, uh, first of all. (laughs) Um, He's not. Uh, But A, that he... Uh, is living in, in a world just like this right now. Um, the the social dynamics of of what this of when this takes place in New Jersey and today. I mean, they didn't have to show you but one scene to remind you of what's happening in, in today's world. Uh, and Leslie Odom as a black man, very easy to tap into. But that doesn't mean the, ro- the role is easier for him to play. Don't make 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 no mistake about that. Because what he does is there's always this conflict in him because he was part of this team running running with this crew and then there comes a point where he says i'm not going to stand for this anymore because 
my pride is at stake and not in a selfish way because they're all criminals. Uh, all of them are criminals in, in this, in this world, but his pride as a human, his pride as, um, as what his direction in life is going to be and who controls it. Just like you said, Cam. So I, I just absolutely was baffled by the nuances of his performance, uh, that he could stare down a character, another character and be telling you so much, uh, with his eyes and so much with his body language, um, kind of the benefit of being on stage and, uh, and, and especially being in Hamilton for, for so long, I think that he was able to discover characterization with his body, which is one of my favorite things. And man, did he have such a good stride uh, as this character, uh, Mr. Harold McBrayer uh, here in the many saints of Newark. So same answer, same actor uh, for scene stealer, but he was just that good. He deserves all the accolades. Great pick Kirk. Uh, mostly because it was the same thing that I picked. So, of course, I think it's a great <laughs> pick uh, and, and great great insight there into the performance. As always, let's move over to the production side. Let's talk about this movie as a film and, and get away from the actor performances a little bit and talk about the technical side. Uh, so we're going to go with Showstopper first, which is sort of the production thing that stole the show for us. And for me, I'm going with something that they did really well in... Um, in The Sopranos as a show, I mean, obviously it's sort of the thesis of the show, but they really carried it over into this one, which is showing that, uh, the you know, the, the very human mind that lives inside of these evil mafia people and showing sort of the, the way that they can get manipulated into doing this. So, like, the way, you know, specifically with Dickie Maltesanti, um you're seeing the same sort of things that Tony Soprano went through in the show where he's talking to Dr. Melfi and have, you know, we're seeing him talk about these things that he's experiencing. And you're like, you know, we sort of as Dr. Melfi in a way, you know, she's the surrogate for us in that show. We're sitting there going, Oh, this guy is actually a human being. He just, he has a messed up code of ethics that stands for something. And in here, they do that same thing very well, but in a different way with Dickie. They do it in, in more of an unspoken way, and you start to see, again, you get taken on that path of, like, why does the mafia work? How does it stick around? And it's like, well, you know, it makes the insecure feel secure. It makes the fearful uh, fear feel safe. And um, he, Dickie really embodied that really well. I thought the scenes where he was going to visit Ray Liotta, who's his, you know, his uncle in prison, were a great way of, you know, he was talking about, I think he even mentions, Ray Liotta mentions at some point, how's your merit badges going? Because he's trying to, you know, cleanse himself or, or balance the scales between the evil that he's doing and the good that he's doing so that he can live with himself. And um, you also see it in Tony Soprano in this movie, how, you know, he's terrified of his mother. You know, they talk about how his, his one of his best memories is his mom just laying in bed and reading him, a book like he wants the belonging that the mafia can provide. So I feel like Kirk, like I know that you love these mafia movies and I think that that's the big reason behind it is like, that is a compelling story. Like why do bad people do bad things and potentially have good intentions? And this is such a great, another great um, narrative exploration of that whole thing. And it's been done a ton of times, but this was a little bit different and I liked the way that they went about it and it, it kept me 
engaged in the characters and engaged in the overall narrative. So I think that diving into that again, again, even though it was done in the Sopranos, it's been done in a bunch of mob movies. This was a new take on it and I really enjoyed it. So that's my showstopper. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm going to go my showstopper, the device of using Ray Liotta as both um, Dickie Maltesanti's father uh, and Dickie Maltesanti's uncle. Uh, I thought it was brilliant um initially so we see we see dickie lose his mind he totally he totally just uh just snaps his own father uh, in the garage of his home and then uh then of course he has to cover it up and get rid of get rid of it get rid of the body and you know move on with his life and then we see immediately um dickie goes into jail to visit his uncle to tell him that his twin brother dickie's father that he murdered uh, is dead and he's like yeah I know uh, and he immediately uh, kind of accuses him of doing it because he pretty much knows that that it was him uh, based on knowing his twin brother so we get this sometimes we get this trope of having the same character I'm sorry it's the same actor play uh, the a different version of the same character oftentimes their twin uh, and it quickly becomes annoying. Uh, one of the most recent experiences uh, that we we may have in kind of TV uh, is in Dead to Me. We have uh, James Marsden uh, gets killed. He is murdered. Uh, spoiler alert. And then he comes back as his twin brother. Um, I personally, in that series, was not a fan of it because uh, it, it didn't hold enough weight. I felt like they were just going for a season two. In this it makes so much sense because the relationship of uncle to nephew is the baseline story of the Sopranos. It's all about Christopher and Tony, that entire series. It's Christopher and Tony because Tony's uh, livelihood is, is based on this fantasy of how strong his relationship was with Dickie, um, which is Christopher's father. So there's all this entanglement that we have between familial relationships between father to son and uncle and nephew to uncle. It's so brilliant that they brought in Ray Liotta who encompasses all of those characters, all those different um, heads of the family and positions in the family to then become immediately as the father to immediately as the uncle to the nephew of the uncle of Tony Soprano. It's insane that it should have not worked. It should have not worked. It should have been goofy. It should have been silly, but that device was so powerful in the, the reflection of characters that we needed to see to bring this film together. Um, I can't, I can't, I could go on about it for days. It's absolutely, um, it was absolutely the right choice. Wonderful device. And it really, it really just, um, made my mouth agape and excited to watch the rest of the film when they revealed that goosebumps Kirk. I got goosebumps when you were talking about that. I, I love it. I, I I mean, yes, the, the whole situation with the uncle, the uncle nephew relationship in, in the mafia, in the Sopranos specifically, you know, you, you have Christopher as the narrator talking about his uncle. You've got Tony learning from his uncle and, you know, even Dickie having to deal with his uncle and also at the same time having to exercise his demons by basically talking to his dad. Um, yes. It's, it's awesome. It's really well done. So that's a, that's a great call. Um, let's move over to the other side. Our director here is Alan Taylor, who's directed a few things, including Thor Dark World, Terminator Genesis, 
a um, bunch of TV shows, episodes, including, you know, tons of HBO stuff like Game of Thrones, uh, Boardwalk Empire, The Sopranos. He's directed, you know, not, not HBO, but still a great show, Mad Men. Um, so he's been around. But let's talk about his work on this one. For me, uh, my director's shoes is going for the fact that this movie is really just overly ambitious, I think. I think they, they tried... I think this would have worked way better as a miniseries, and um, ultimately mm-hmm. they, they crammed it into a two-hour movie. And I, I don't think it's for lack of intent. I think they really took a really intentional approach with each scene, and I feel like each scene was very strategically placed within the movie, but I still felt like because they were trying to cover so much ground between building Harold as a character from the ground up, building Dickie as a character basically from the ground up, adding in some Tony Soprano development to kind of bring us up to the point where we're ready for Soprano season one. And, you know, the civil rights situation, the, the, the family dynamics, all of this stuff that was going on. It was just like, whoa, tons. I felt like they were, they were doing it in a way and being as thoughtful as they could be, but it was just too much. It was just frankly too much for this movie to take on. And as a result, I feel like the pacing suffered because you're like, you know, I found myself going, okay, why are we in this scene right now? And then I'm like, oh, well, you know, they did have to go back and resolve, resolve this. So like I can see the thought process and why they edited it together the way that they did and why they showed us the things that they did. But I was still at the end going like, man, you sort of killed some of the momentum of this movie by cramming all that stuff in there. And if you, if we had just scaled it back slightly to take out a few things, we could have made a richer movie that felt better paced and that didn't, you know, bounce around so much that you were just like, well, I can't, I can't track. Um, because it, it did feel like that at times in the two hour movie. And, and I, you know, again, I don't, I don't really think it's their fault. I think it was directed like a TV show as it should have been because they were taking on a lot of different subplots, but it was just, it just ultimately was too much. And if they had done a six episode mini series on this, it would have been better. I think the medium failed them here. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. This, this film as, um, adapting it from episodic to a, uh, to a, a standalone film. That's a difficult task to do. Um, you know, we spoke of Downton Abbey earlier um, in the in this live podcast recording, and they obviously have a, a one film out, one film in the making. So they'll have two films after uh, about six seasons of their very successful run of a show. And that film did not feel episodic. They were able to maneuver uh, in a way that it it was still continuing the story of everyone, but it made it in one cohesive um, expression. Uh, but this, at times, definitely I agree with you, Cam, it felt episodic as The Sopranos was. You have to f- bridge that gap when you're writing this, um, which would be very difficult to do, I imagine, but you really have to bring in some counsel to say, hey, what do you think about this? Does it seem like this 10 minutes happens and then this next 10 minutes happens or does it have a constant flow, a constant consistent flow? And that's something that was uh, definitely lacking here. The other part 
in this, and I don't know whose fault it really comes down to. I don't know if it's the writer's fault. I don't know if it's the uh, marketing team's fault. Um, there, Some of it does rely on the director, but we have this movie advertised as the Tony Soprano movie. Uh, in this particular uh, freeze frame that we have over here, it says a Soprano story. But in the majority of their marketing, it said uh, Tony Soprano story. And it... I fully came into this, you know, uh, expecting, you know, 90% of the movie to have um, Michael Gandolfini, uh, which is, again, James Gandolfini's son, taking on the role of Tony Soprano for him. Um, Of course, James Gandolfini uh, passed away from a heart attack many years ago. And it's, it was such a, not, not like a, not a cool idea, not even a, a neat honor but, you know, they weren't even considering Michael for this role. And I believe the creator had lunch or dinner with him. Uh, and he decided, oh, my goodness, you have to come in and audition. Why didn't I think of you? Um, and it just kind of all worked out. Because Michael Gandolfini already has interest in the entertainment world. But the, the, ultimate, the ultimate thing on here is that what I'm trying to get at is that it, it shouldn't have been marketed that way or they should have upped Michael Gandolfini's role because he was excellent in it. I think that was a miss. Uh, I think it still should have focused on, uh, of course, uh, Uncle Dickie, but not having enough um, uh, Tony in it really doesn't give us the left punch for their relationship, uh, for their growing relationship and how important they are to each other. It seemed like we had to connect the dots more than we should have been exposed to how they really interacted with with each other with more time. Yeah, I think what we saw here is, is exactly what you're talking about, which is, you know, something we see all the time, which is, uh, a creative person, a director, a, a writer, you know, they, they collaborate, they make a film. And then the studio passes that off to their marketing team or their agency that they're working with and says, sell this to people. <laughs> yes. And what's the easy way to sell this movie? Sell it as a Tony Soprano origin story. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't blame them for one second for doing that. But <laughs> it does impact the film when you get in there and Michael Gandolfini doesn't show up until halfway through the movie and every scene that he's in, in the movie, you saw some piece of it in the promotional materials, in the trailers, etc. So his role is really quite, quite minor in a way, uh, actually. And this really is the Dickie Maltesanti story. So I, I, it's one of those things where it's like, you can't blame them for selling it the way that they sold it, but it does impact the, the end product and the consumer experience ultimately and we see it all the time the most notorious example of this i think for sure is nicholas winding refn's film drive starring starring ryan Mm. gosling almost impossible to sell that film to a mass audience it was an indie film that got a wide release because it was starring you know (laughs) ryan gosling and they marketed it like a car movie and it is not a car movie at all and people were ticked (laughs) people who saw that movie expecting you know the fast and the furious i mean the movie is called drive also uh were ticked they were totally ticked and you can't really blame them um so it happens all the time that's just one example that popped to the top of my head but 
it's just like, man, you can't can't blame them. But I'm sure the writers and directors, when they saw the trailer, were like, oh lord, they, what <laughs> like what have they done? <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, so it's just one of those things. I hate when people say it is what it is, but I say it all the time, and and it is what it is. <laughs> you know, there's nothing they could have done really about this all told. It just it kind of had to happen that way. Um, all right, let's move on. Final thoughts and scores on the Mini Saints of Newark. I'll get us kicked off here. I mean, if there's such a thing as giving an A for effort, I mean, this is this is it. They did. I thought, you know, they were given a mostly impossible task of making this thing work with all the things they were trying to do within um, a two-hour movie instead of a miniseries, which again I think would have been the preferred medium. They casted it well. It was well acted. Um, it was pretty entertaining. I think the pace, man, the pace hurt. The pace hurt because it just, it was choppy. Um, not choppy like we're cutting scenes too short, but like the vibe <laughs> of scenes. Like you would go from one scene into another scene and it was very much like a TV show where it's like, oh, the vibe of this scene is way different. We're hitting the brakes. Um, and that hurt the effect of the movie. I also think um, they're just, you know, when I look at like, what is the point of this? I like the story that they told, but I don't feel like it's the world's most necessary story. Like the big reveal that we get is that junior was behind the death of Dickie Maltesanti, which is cool. um, But it's not like the best payoff you could have possibly had. And if that's like the only real piece of plot that you get from this, um, I don't think it's that satisfying of a payoff. And I felt like, you know, they have this really cool idea for a narrator tool of, you know, Christopher Maltesanti from beyond the grave, you know, as this like omni- omniscient narrator. And they didn't use it enough, man. I wanted to hear his insight. I wanted to hear his insight now knowing, spoiler alert on The Sopranos, like we already have done, now knowing that his uncle murdered him, <laughs> you know, um, or helped him along to death by plugging his nostrils. It's like, I wanted more. I wanted more there. He mentioned that his uncle killed him at the very beginning and he pops in here and there, but it just, it just isn't much. So again, I just think this movie was a little bit too big for its britches. They did what they could with what they had and it's, it's still decently entertaining. I'm glad I watched it. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's about what I expected it to be, which is a, a step below a really, really good film. So for me, it's a 6.6 out of 10 for the Mini Saints of Newark. Look at that gun. Look at that gun in the R. Just oh, like also, um, the, when, they, when they build into the theme song at the very end, oh. that was Goosebump City. That was, woke up this morning. I was like, yes, injected inject into my veins. The way that they just built it up with the bass line and the kick drum coming in, I was like, yes, this is cinema. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this film, I think, will get a lot better if it is the baseline of at least a two part series Um, at the end of this film, you have Leslie Odom jr. Just strutting down some stairs. He is obviously building his empire and he is out to make his own Uh, moving into seemingly an all white neighborhood, uh, just like flashing his cash to the movers and saying, 
welcome neighbor. How's it going? You know? Uh, so there's, it, it would be pretty shocking if we didn't get another uh, go at this because now we have an opportunity to see really the Tony Soprano story in Newark uh, because we really didn't get that. Uh, you know, just like the 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 fantasy, the the legendary uh, Dickie stories that we get in the Sopranos, um, we get we always talks about you know. Let me take you to Newark. You know, I, I let me show you where I worked. Let me show you what I did. Let me show you the place I first killed my my guy. Whatever, you know they they have so much opportunity to do that and if i don't get an announcement within like one month time i'm going to be a little upset that there's not either <laughs> either a sequel um or maybe more appropriately a limited series with michael gandolfini reprising the role in the pre and still in the prequel to the sopranos or um whatever it might be whatever it might look like so i think that if they can do that then this movie steps it up a notch and i'm banking on that that they will do that because the chemistry was just too good i also uh wished that they didn't make the original characters uh not so caricature like um they did the best job with junior obviously because of the final moment with him the final beat but you get you get sal you get uh you get uh silvio and they are well played but they are um their caricatures, unfortunately. So if we get another round of them, um, it might play better with more time, but we really need to see the human side of them too, because that is how, why the Sopranos is so successful. All that to say job well done could have been better, but um, I will watch this over and over again in my, when I'm rounding out my mafia movies uh, for the hundredth time, I'm going to give this a 7.3 out of 10. Nice. Good score. Good score. Yeah, that's the Many Saints of Newark, and I don't know if you caught that there, but I'm pretty sure Kirk's score is contingent on there being more here. So yes. if we go a year or so without hearing anything, we're going to have to revisit it with you <laughs> and see if anything changes as a result. But um, it was fun. fun, fun to revisit. I'm actually I'm actually rewatching The Sopranos right now as we speak. I'm in season two. Um, I did that before before I, I started it sort of before I even knew this movie was coming out and didn't like rush to finish it. But I watched it at a time in my life where I wasn't as critically minded as I am now and just sort of watched it as a show. So I'm going back to sort of uh, revisit it. And it's been fun. And this yeah. this movie was a fun way to sort of sort of cap that off knowing what I know. Um, it's great fan service. I think honestly, it, it does. A, it does a good job. It, the issue with it comes whenever you try to analyze it as a standalone film, which mm-hmm. you, ha- you have to do when you're giving it critique in my opinion, but it's, uh, you know, it's tricky. It's tricky because of what it is, but thank you guys so much for listening. That's our review of the mini saints of Newark. If you listen to you, either of these reviews, like you were on the stream or you listen to both of our episodes this week about Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and The Many Saints of Newark. We would love to hear your thoughts on these movies. I think they're interesting ones to talk about. They're not very cut and dry, and I feel like, um, you know, the buzz that I've seen specifically about Venom in my timeline has been kind of split, and then also as well with The Many Saints of Newark. I've seen some some split opinions there, so I would love to get people's takes and to hear more. The best way to do that is to reach out to us on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube. We're on TikTok. We're on Discord. You can join our Discord server down below. We're trying to build that community up, and then we'll start 
really, really rolling there. So please, please yeah. join in in the early stages and help us out there. And then we'll, we'll build it out even more, but as we'll always, send you a free t-shirt. We'll send yeah, you a free I mean, we t-shirt. have, we have t-shirts, we have swag, whatever you need, just hit us up. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening as always next week will be a little bit of a tricky one. We'll obviously have spilled popcorn for the season finale of what if, and we're going to review uh, no time to die at some point, but Kirk and I are actually also going on a vacation with our collective family, my side of the family. Um, So we will be out for the first half of the week next week. So it just remains to be seen what, what takes shape. And I don't want to commit to anything at this time, but we will, we will keep you guys posted to our whereabouts and uh, what episodes to expect. But for now, thank you again for listening. Um, as always, we have to give a special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, who will also be with us on vacation next yes. week and maybe we'll put our creative minds together but also uh rhetoric the band who created our original music you're hearing them right now we will talk to you guys next week see ya see ya